What are your legs? Springs. Steel springs. What are they going to do? They're going to hurl me down the track. How fast can you run? As fast as a leopard. How fast are you going to run? As fast as a leopard. Then, let's see you do it. This is a very famous scene from, well, the opening scene from the 1981 Australian movie Gallipoli. And it's a coming-of-age film of young men and a coming-of-age film about the, the nation of Australia. It's a movie about some key Australian values, you know, mateship, sacrifice, and larrikinism. It's also very well known for engaging in that important Australian pastime of insulting the British, which is very important when there's an Ashes series going on. It's a movie which is so important that, well, when I was at school, uh, it was part of the curriculum. We would watch Gallipoli. It's also, though, it's a war movie. It's a movie about two runners, Archie Hamilton and Frank Dunn. And Archie is the idealistic Australian kid, and we saw him there training with his uncle. Uh, Frank, he's the earthy, cynical counterpart, played by Mel Gibson. And they first meet together racing against each other at a competition. Um, they start out as enemies, but they become mates. And they enlist in the army together, and they're sent to Gallipoli into the nightmare of trench warfare. Um, in those days, you know, the early 1900s, technology was, you know, not as primitive as it is today. You know, we didn't have the Googles and stuff. And the Australian forces, they needed a message runner, you know, someone to, to carry the orders from the command tent out to the officer on the front lines to communicate what's going, what, you know, the orders, whether to attack or whether to call off the attack, whether to charge the enemy at trenches or to stop the attack. Uh, the runner could be bringing good news uh, or the runner could be bringing disaster for the soldiers waiting for their turn to go up over the top and try to make it into the enemy trenches. And we see this idea of the runner uh, being very important in other films as well with uh, uh, the Academy Award winning movie 1917 from a couple of years ago following the fates of two runners during World War I uh, carrying an important message that needed to be delivered to save many lives. Um, not going to spoil either movie for you this morning, though if you haven't seen Gallipoli yet, you, you know, you've had your time, so I probably should spoil it for you. But anyway, um, uh, but they're both war movies, so you can imagine there's a bit of death involved in both of these movies. But instead, I want to talk about a different runner this morning, a different story about a runner. And this one is also in the context of a war which had been fought. But this runner brings good news that changes everything. The kind of news which brings new life to some and can save the life of others. Uh, we're going to go to Isaiah this morning, so open up your vitals and turn to Isaiah 52. And this is a prophecy that Isaiah has, this image of this runner coming. So we're going to Isaiah 52, verses 7 to 10, and it's on the screen behind you as well, behind me, in front of you. So let's do that. So reading Isaiah 52, it says this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together. 
you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. It's a classic passage from the Old Testament and a great one for us to be looking at at the lead up to Christmas. It's the gospel proclamation. It's the good news prophesied hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. It demonstrates that God is victorious and sovereign over everything that happens. Therefore, peace and salvation is available to all, which is really good news for us today as well. And the really cool about thing about this passage is this paints this picture of this runner. And this runner is running with news of a battle. You know, not too dissimilar from what we see in the Gallipoli movie because, you know, thousands of years ago when they were fighting wars, they also didn't have radios or Googles or whatever it might be. They didn't even have newspapers. So people on foot had to carry messages. And it says in verse 8 here that his destination is Zion which is one of the names in the Bible used for uh, Israelites, you know, capital city and home of Jerusalem. But there's a problem with Jerusalem. Verse 9 tells us that the city is in ruins. And that's really not ideal if that's your home city and that's, you know, your capital city. Uh, This would not, however, come any surprise for people reading the book when it was first put together because Isaiah is writing to those exiled from Jerusalem. In 586 BC, the city of Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians and many were killed. The city was basically destroyed. Uh, The people who were left alive, you know, the best of them, all the leaders and the the skilled and educated people were were dragged away to Babylon, the city of Babylon, to pretty much be exiles there and and live in that city. And for the people of the day, when when all this went down, it was an unthinkable tragedy. Their God was the one true God. So how is it possible that they had been defeated in such an emphatic way and and God's space, you know, the temple to be destroyed? Um, Maybe God wasn't really all that powerful. Maybe God had disowned them and didn't care anymore. It really messed with their understanding of how God worked. So the people of Israel, they're now captives in Babylon. And they are utterly defeated and decimated and they're living their lives under a foreign king in a foreign land and wishing that things would go back to the way they used to be. And it's to these people the message of Isaiah is spoken. To a people who are essentially little more than prisoners of war, they have no hope and no future, Isaiah speaks of a runner. This runner has run a long way over mountains and has now arrived in Jerusalem which is still in ruins and still in mourning. But he has a message of good news that gives them hope. The message he brings is, your God reigns. With those three words, he addresses the anxieties of the people of the day. To the people having a crisis of faith, who are questioning if God had any real power, or questioning if he cared anymore, or questioning if he even existed, he tells them, your God reigns. He's powerful. He's in control of history. He is still on the throne. And this is cause for celebration. You know, verse 8, it says, Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Those who are on the ruined walls respond with celebration. God is king. 
all is not lost. In fact, things are good because God will be putting things right. He will return. And the thing I love about this is the people are celebrating here before God actually does anything at all. Like God hasn't yet returned the exiles. He hasn't made a way for the city to be rebuilt. He hasn't fixed the temple. The watchmen are responding in faith to the good news. They are believing the good news with all of their heart and that changes their situation in the present. They have a sure faith that God will act. And we see it here. It's not a case of if, but when God would act. Uh, The second half of verse 8 says, when the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. So what does it mean for the people people that God is on the throne? What does this kingdom look like? Uh, It says here in in verse 7, we read earlier, but the good news is, is to proclaim peace, to bring good tidings, to proclaim salvation. Firstly, you know, peace. Because God was still in charge, people could look forward to peace. But what kind of peace should we expect here? I mean, God's people were technically you know, no longer at war anymore, and they already sort of had peace because the war was over. They lost the war, and they were now uh, exiles. But peace in the Bible means much, much more than just this absence of war. The Hebrew word for peace in the Bible is shalom. And many of you know it means much, much more than just no war. Shalom, the peace of God, has much more to do with all relationships, not just the ones that are experiencing conflict. Shalom speaks about all people everywhere having healthy relationships to the people around them, having healthy relationships with the rest of the creative order, and having the right relationship with the way people interact with God. To live in a state of shalom means that I love God, I, I worship him as king and sovereign, and that I love my neighbor. Yeah? I, I, I respect my boss at work, I honor my parents, I strive to be a good father, I steward well the land I'm living in. But not only that, but shalom also means that I actively confront injustices and cruelty and evil in the world and look for ways that I contribute to a more just, more gracious world that more closely resembles God's kingdom. That's the shalom of God, the peace which is available to every believer. The next line in verse 7 declares that it is good tidings that God is on the throne. And the Hebrew word here has a real sense of joy about it, which is why so many Bible translations and Christmas carols talk about the joy of Christmas and the joy of the gospel. Because God is on the throne, throne, joy is available to all who believe in him. Now, uh, we've got to be careful when we start talking about joy, about we don't make the gospel all about our happiness, and then we get really disappointed if we accept Jesus, and then all of a sudden we don't become magically happy. Um, for the life of the believer, joy is different to maybe what the world expects about happiness. Some people find it helpful to differentiate between uh, happiness and joy as being you know, two sort of having different sources. And I, I think it's playing semantics, but... Uh, I think it's helpful to think of it in this way. You know, sometimes people talk about happiness as a feeling you get when something good is happening, something you have no control over. Joy, on the other hand, is a deep-seated contentment that doesn't change. Happiness is fickle, you know what I mean? We, we're, we're happy when we win the cricket, when we have something nice to eat, when we get a promotion at work, or 
we get a new puppy, if you're a puppy person. Um, similarly, uh, when we lose the cricket or become really unwell or when someone breaks our trust or when things are bad at work or a pet dies, um, our happiness is gone. Joy, on the other hand, is not fickle. Joy comes from God and knowing that God is still on the throne and he has power over all things. Joy says, no matter what the circumstances are we are facing, things will work out for good because God is still on the throne. But this means that we will suffer. You know, We will experience tragedy in this life. We will get ill. We will have much pain. And when those, happen, those things happen, uh, we're most likely not going to be happy. Uh, we'll most likely be miserable. <laughs> but through it all, we will have the knowledge that God is in control. And he won't cause us more suffering than what we can bear. And he's doing a work in and through us, through our suffering. That's the joy of the good news of the gospel. And if you think about it, you know, that is the joy that the apostles experienced you know, all through uh, the book of Acts. Uh, the early church, they had a hard time really. Uh, but all the way through, they had tremendous faith in God that brought them, brought them joy. Um, there's this cool verse in 2 Corinthians 11. I'll just read it to you. And this is Paul talking about his experience of, uh, you know, uh, well, anyway, check this out. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I don't know where that came from. That's a really interesting thing. Why can't he just say 39? Anyway, that's good. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I know hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Ouch. And yet, Paul says this in Philippians 4, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul knows the joy of the Lord. He's not happy a lot of the time because of all this stuff going on to him, but it says here he is content in each and every situation. Because God reigns, that is the good news of joy that is available to all believers. Uh, finally, we go back to verse 7. Because God is on the throne, salvation is available to all. And whilst the original readers of Isaiah did experience this when they returned from exile and were, you know, were able to go back home to Jerusalem, the experience of salvation was only a preview to the real salvation that God planned when Jesus came into the world. In many ways, you know, all that we have spoken of today, peace, joy, salvation, finds its best fulfillment in the birth of Jesus. Luke 2, 8 to 14 says these words. I'll be on the screen. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Here once again in this gospel proclamation, we find peace, we find joy, we find salvation that God is bringing because God is on the throne and he's the kind of king who left his place in glory to come to earth as Jesus, announcing the good news of the kingdom and demonstrating what life is like living under the rule and reign of God. Not only that, but he also took all the ways that we have sinned, all the ways that we have wronged others, and he put it on himself. And he went to the cross and died in our place so that we could be free and have new life. And if you haven't already accepted Jesus as your saviour and king today, it's no better time to do it around Christmas time. Believe that he lived, he died and rose again, and accept the new life he gives you as you follow his way of living. And I think believing believing and living the gospel is so critical in the season which we find ourselves today. The reason why I think this is, is because when you put your faith in Jesus, you have access to the peace that he gives, the shalom we talked about earlier, about living in right relationships with God and having the right relationships with others and be working towards bringing the peace of God in any situation we find ourselves in. Because if we are honest... There's not a lot of peace happening now in our community. There's a lot of division in our region. Uh, Some people are very concerned about the rapid increase of COVID numbers across the country and the risk it presents to so many. Others are concerned about the, the actions that governments have taken in response. Some people's lives have been seriously affected. Some people are no longer employed. And from all those places of concern and hurt and loss, some have been reacting very strongly to the things that they hold dear and have come into conflict with others. And all throughout the last 18 months or so, I think shalom has been in short supply. Uh, One of my lecturers at Bible College recently observed that this global pandemic has been apocalyptic in the true sense of the word. Now, if you remember, when we talked about a few weeks ago, in, in the Bible, apocalypse doesn't mean end of the world. That's kind of like an English way of rendering it. It's something which is, apocalypse in the Bible means something which is revealed or uncovered. Like the the curtain's been pulled out and you can see the inner workings, you can see into the heart of people. And during this season, people's inner convictions have come out, you know. Inequities have become obvious. There's dysfunction which is on display. Uh, What people really think of others is showing through. And humanity's actual vulnerability and mortality uh, uh, have gone public. In an area where we expect, in, in an age where we expect to live to a ripe old age, uh, we are confronted with the death of so many. In a time when there is a, you know, a lack of war between nations, there is war between family members and people groups. And I think the fix for all of this is the gospel, the good news that God is King. God is greater than any sickness. He is greater than any government. He is greater than any conflict or sin or pain. He defeated death and sin. On the cross, and the government that put him on the cross was overthrown centuries ago. So, if the solution is the gospel, how can we be bearers of the good news, just like the runner we read about in Isaiah 52, with the beautiful feet on the mountains? How do we declare that God is king, and because of that, there can be peace on earth 
and invite others to accept this good news when there is so much conflict around us? How can we demonstrate to others well that our God reigns? First and foremost, uh, the first thing Jesus said about his gospel, that it is good news for the poor. So if we are about spreading Jesus' gospel, it must favour the poor and underprivileged and vulnerable. We need to be mindful of the sick, the elderly and the immunocompromised during this time, very, being very careful that none of our actions could ever cause harm. Secondly, as we've been talking about today, Jesus' gospel is one of peace. And that doesn't just mean the lack of fighting, but it means to be in right relationships. Many relationships are strained right now, either between friends or between employers and employees, between government and people. We need to think about our individual circumstances and look for ways that we can be about building bridges to be agents of reconciliation and help mend what is broken. Bringing shalom also means includes sorry includes speaking out about injustices we see occurring around us and taking an active role in that but if we do this we need to be careful not to make it all about us what we want for ourselves ideally it should be on behalf of others and of course whenever we are speaking up we must do it with gentleness and respect to all we love our enemies we pray for those who persecute us whenever we speak truth to power Above all, I think listening goes a long way to communicating the gospel of peace. There are so many who are hurting in so many different ways, and those hurts are real. And if you heard about the noise, uh, some are shouting out their hurts, and very few are listening to them. Let's listen to the stories of those who have deep concerns during this time. Empathize with them. You might completely disagree with them, but it doesn't mean that we stop caring. In fact, it maybe means we care even more. Finally, Jesus' gospel is one of salvation. We need not fear death because Jesus has defeated death. So even if we die, we live forever with him. We need not fear what any person or people or government could do to us because Jesus says in Matthew 10, you know, don't fear them, uh, fear God. We can be saved from our fears through him. Jesus' death also means that we can be forgiven in any of the ways that we've lashed out, acted selfishly or not cared for others during this time. Jesus defeated all of that sin. So it's, this morning it's my prayer that we can be bearers of the good news this Christmas. That God reigns to a world that you know, kind of looks like a war zone sometimes. I pray that each of us might be a people of peace, working towards the shalom of God. I pray that we might preach the gospel in word and deed and to demonstrate to a divided, hurting world that God is on the throne. And he is the answer to every question. And living under the rule and reign of God results in a peace that passes understanding and a joy that never ceases. Let's pray. God, your gospel is good news. Thank you that you are on the throne and you are over and above and greater than anything that we ever face any day. Um, God, we're inspired by this, uh, this, this, this runner, this, this prophecy that, a lot, that Isaiah had of someone bringing good news to a people who weren't doing okay. And God, there are a lot of people who are not doing okay uh, during the, this season we live in. And I just want to pray, God, that especially during this Christmas time, we can be announcing and demonstrating the good news of your kingdom, that we can be people of peace, 
but not just the non-fighting type, but also the sense of, hey, what does justice look like here? That we can be speaking the truth, to, speaking the truth in love, that we can be loving our enemies and listening to those who are hurting during this time. God, we thank you that um, you have done everything that is all, all, all the hard work has been done by you. You came to earth, you walked, you showed us how to live. You died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and have your gift of salvation. And so this morning, God, as we you know, remember what you have done for us, we say thank you and pray that we can partner with you so that others might hear about this good news, about this God who is king, who is gracious, who is loving and just, and who came to earth as little baby uh, to die for the sins of the world and put things the way they should. So help us each, God, as we're going, going about our day to day to be about your kingdom, to be people of joy, people of peace people who bring salvation and thank you for the privilege it is to do this work alongside you and we pray this in jesus name amen